Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were were just really high risk, unnecessarily so, and a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome to Movie Crush, Mini Crush Monday, Monday morning. Monday, Monday. We love this day. It's the best. It we're, is fun. We're, we're like anti-Garfield. We're the opposite of Garfield. We love Mondays. Right. Although, to be fair, it is Thursday. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Chuck, he just blew my whole world open, man. That has ruined everything. I am too busy. Yeah, it's Thursday morning here and uh, I just finished my triple latte. We uh, just finished recording another one. We do these two at a time generally. Yep. Spoiler. Mm. And let's just get right to it, Noel. I'm ready. Because this is jam-packed. We got a great social studies segment. Social studies on Movie Crush. Now, this turned out to be a really fun question. I went to Facebook and asked, what is your favorite music cue? And I even said, you know, I'm not talking about the score because uh, not everyone knows what a music cue is. It's... Uh, a specific song usage in a film, and about 98% of the people got that right, but some people still said, <laughs> well, the score of Star Wars, <laughs> it's like, well, it's not exactly a music cue. No. I mean, technically, I guess it is, but you know what I'm it's saying. It's different. We're talking, you're talking about a, a, a tune, like a song by an artist. Correct. That's used. A song placement. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right. I'm going to go, at, well, I'll, I'll say mine at the end, but I want to go through a lot of these because, man, people, uh, people... Really got on board with this one. Megan Carroll, again, for the second week in a row, you are blowing my mind with how similar we are. She says, oh, my God, my dream job is music supervisor on a film. Uh, these days in the Royal Tannenbaums is just so fucking perfect. That is wonderful. It's with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character getting off the bus. Yeah. Smoking underground cigarettes, walking slow-mo kind of while her... And brother, the, kind and the, of the Caesar. Navy midshipman cross oh, in slow motion. It's so good, so good. I mean, he's one of those directors that just nails the the soundtrack. Oh, I mean, just to it. His music cues are all over this list. Yeah, it's almost a joke. It's almost a, become a cliche how good his music cues are. Yeah, 
For sure. My buddy Jeremy uh, Kane in, in Washington State, uh, he actually texted me or, or maybe on fa- Facebook to me and was like, man, I didn't because I take these down after I get enough answers mm-hmm. just so, you know, yeah. people don't clog it up. And he said, man, I didn't get to answer. Uh, but uh, he said, a quick one while he's away. Mine, mine. Love in, it. In Love Rushmore it. by The Who. Love it. <laughs> so classic. Her man's been gone uh, for so nigh on a year. So good. Uh, all right. We're going to go through a lot more of these. Ken Turpin. Uh, he got the most uh, up likes, up votes on the Facebook page for Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangsta from Office Space, one of the classic music cues. Very good. Uh, Michael Hilton, um, and a bunch of people said this, and I will give it to him, uh, for a more recent film, Immigrant Song and Thor Ragnarok. Doesn't get much better. Really good usage. It's also one of those songs that's so, like, potentially could be cliche and overused. Yeah. The way it's used in that one, it just crushes it. Oh, crushes it. So good. Really good. Uh, Anna Marie Guido says, Down by the River to Pray by Alison Krauss and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, That whole movie is chock full of good music. Sean McFarlane, Head Over Heels uh, by Tears for Fears, will always remind me of the high school scene in Donnie Darko. Um, And then Jesse's Girl in Boogie Nights when Dirk and his friends are trying to rip off uh, Albert Molina. It's pretty epic. Donnie Darko's all through here, too. That, That movie... You know that movie, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It managed to have some really great, great music cues. I'm just starting to doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion, <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> oh, that actress is so great. I can't remember her name, but character actor, she's wonderful. Chris Ortado, one of the hardest-hitting songs, again in Donnie Darko, when Mad World plays. Another great one. It's actually, I, I'd heard that version of it, the kind of bummery piano version before I heard the Tears for Fears version. Uh-huh. Um, I definitely prefer the Tears for Fears version, but that, just the song, yeah. it made me just love, fall in love with that song. Yeah, that movie, I loved that. I mean, I still love it, but mm. I really, really, really loved that movie when it came out. Me too. I was, I saw it several times. Yeah. And um, what happened to Richard Kelly, man? He made a couple weird ones. He made like a weird musical kind of with The Rock and uh, yeah. The, well, the Southland Tales yes, the was one. just yeah. like it, it was like I think it got the Razzie for worst movie. Some people really dig it though. I, yeah. I haven't seen. I, I know it's got a cult kind of a cult following. Uh, for maybe sure. I'll check it out one day. Mm-hmm. I avoided it because I it heard it was so bad. But how can you make something like Donnie Darko and then just fall off the rails like? Well, that? it's that thing where you have your whole life to make your first movie yeah. and plan it, and then That's you gotta right. keep pumping them out, and maybe it's you know same with records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Pentola, Gimme Shelter, the opening of The Departed. Yeah. Martin Scorsese loves him some Rolling Stones. Uh, Greta Koenig says, uh, in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Mike uh, tells Mark one of his five dating tips, one of which is, when it comes to making out, play side one of Led Zeppelin four. And Mark play is that a good demone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark plays the song Cashmere in the Car, and Greta very astutely points out, which we all know is from Physical Graffiti. That always stood out to me. How could they make that mistake? Oh, that's funny. Because it was Cameron Crowe. Yeah. Who wrote that. That's hilarious. Why Why not just say physical graffiti? I don't know. It had to be on purpose. I, I'm kind of curious about that. There's got to be a story there. Because that's a, a high-profile mistake to make. I'm going to go ahead and throw in She's Got to Be Somebody's Baby or Somebody's Baby from Jackson Brown, uh, also from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, Brittany Story says, um, Suffian Stevens, uh, when Chicago by Stuffy and Stevens plays in Little Miss Sunshine as the family drives in silence. Great movie. Mm-hmm. In a van with my friends. Well, yep. Uh, Pete, uh, boy, I have no idea. There's a lot of consonants in your name, buddy. But I'm going to go with <laughs> Holen- Holenage? 
I bet Pete's laughing right now. You know, people sometimes people really dig it when uh, they just you just do a delightfully horrible pronunciation of their <laughs> name. So, well, there's got to be some silent letters here. It's H O L O D N Y J. Holony. Hol- I don't know. I got, Maybe. Mm, yeah. I love it, Pete. What would Pete say? He said, good fellas, that beautiful single tracking shot, of course, as Henry leads Karen through the bowels of the Copacabana, all set to, and then he kissed me by the crystals. Absolute perfection. Agreed. Uh, another Donnie Darko, Ryan Nims, and we've covered all of Donnie Darko at this point, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen's uh, Killing Moon in the beginning. Huge fan. Really good. Uh, Nick Holiday, oh yes, Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith as that orange GTO rolls through the car park at the start of Dazed and Confused. Classic, classic beginning of a movie. Uh, Tammy Mitchell says, I love this question. Pretty much every Wes Anderson movie. She said, but if I had to choose, I would pick Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith and Tannenbaums. That's a real heavy scene, too. Very heavy scene. Yeah. Man. R.I.P. Elliot Smith. I loved him. Uh, Don Morris, This Woman's Work by Kate Bush, and she's having a baby. And I told Don on Facebook, I am I get teared up just reading that post because that song placement and what was going on in that movie is so sad. Uh, I can hardly even think about it without getting a little teary. Mary Beth Ward McDonough. You've got a lot of great names there. 16 Candles, Sam walks out at the very end at the church, and If You Were Here starts as she sees Jake Ryan standing by his car. Uh, T.J. Danny, the Save Me sing-along montage in Magnolia. It's probably one of the most beautiful movies and music moments I've ever witnessed. Amy Mann. Yeah, she killed it. I'm going to have her on one day. She is so awesome. I've been a fan of hers for many years. Yeah, I almost got her when she came through town in Atlanta, but she was doing a, uh, because we have mutual friends who actually got in touch, and she was doing a radio interview and said she didn't like doing more than one thing in a day on a show day. Yeah. And I was respect like, that. man, I know Amy Mann would much rather have done this than a radio interview. Oh, yeah, man. Those seem like a drag. This they is... just got to her first. Yeah, yep. Happens. All right. Uh, Teresa Barker, uh, That's the Way, from Led Zeppelin and Almost Famous, with the band bus heading into the rising sun. Uh, I agree, Teresa. I would say that the uh, the Elton John tiny dancer moment is the one probably most often referenced from Almost Famous, but I'm with you. that That's the way uh, music, I think, is greater than, subtly greater than. All right, a few more here. Richard Mouse, um, Vienna, from The Great Billy Joel, featured in 13 Going on 30. Richard and everyone else, I'm here to say 13 Going on 30 is one of my guilty pleasures. I love that movie. Which one is that? It's Jennifer Garner. And the old switcheroo thing. Oh, like the Freaky Friday kind of stuff. Yeah, switch. she was yeah. a kid who wished she was older, and then she was older, but she still had the kid's brain. And then she, she's like this gorgeous, statuesque woman acting like a goofball 12-year-old or 13-year-old. Yeah, right? yeah. it's mm-hmm. just a wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. And I am a also, I was about to say closet Billy Joel fan, but I'm not because I'm way out with that. Love Billy Joel, and Vienna's one of his greatest, greatest tunes. And the usage in that movie is really, really key. Uh, Edwin Forrest Glenn. A great one from Rushmore, um, Cat Stevens' The Wind, when they start flying the kite there at the end. Take dictation. I can't believe no one has mentioned Harold and Maude. Someone did, and I didn't write it down. 
Harold and Maude, you know, wall-to-wall Cat Stevens. Yeah, man. Turned me on to his music in a way that I, I'd never quite experienced before. And such a fantastic film. And the use of that music just really, like, takes it over the edge. Yeah. that, that The wind is in that film as well. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've always loved Cat Stevens. And in college, I was huge into Cat Stevens and my uh, buddy Eddie was huge into Bob Dylan, and we were both into both of them. But I was Cat Stevens, he was Bob Dylan, and we always joke that we were going to start an acoustic cover band called Bobcat. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> I think we still might do it one day. Sure. Uh, Janet James Allman, uh, Ms. Relu, at the beginning of Pulp Fiction. Hard to argue with that one. Mm-hmm. Funny, to, t- to call back to the last episode, we were talking about credits. Um, Tarantino does that old school style of credits where he always has his credits up front. Right, and that rolling yellow, uh, what is that, like Times New Roman or something? I don't know, but it always gives him a chance to have like a hot track, Uh you know, and really set the tone and like, you know, so good, yeah. That was one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar where I realized like, oh, I'm not that bad at guitar. I can pick fast like that. Oh, did you do that? Yeah. I saw Dick Dale play live. He uses, I can't remember what uh, gauge guitar string, but... It's basically like piano wire. Oh, wow. It's yeah. ridiculous because he just, you know, wails on that thing. He played around here not terribly long ago, actually, at the mm-hmm. Earl or a smaller venue. Oh, yeah. That's the great thing about Dick Dale is you can see him with like 80 people mm-hmm. in a room. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we're going to finish up social studies with Kristen Egan, another one from Rushmore. Wes Anderson, you're doing it right. And special shout out to uh, Mark Mothersbaugh, of course. Can't mention Wes Anderson without giving him credit. Uh, but she says, ooh la la from The Faces. Great, great song. I have a quick uh, question for you, Chuck. It's kind of combining this question with trope time. Oh. Are you ready? Yes. Give me your top three most cliche on the nose, hey guys, it's the 60s songs from movies. Oh. Top three. That's tough. That'd be better to, to think of one. But Give me one. I'll try. Give me one. It seems like... Um, I've seen a lot of, of Vietnam movies that used, uh, or Vietnam, yeah, era movies that used, if you're going to San Francisco, mm-hmm. that seems to be sort of kind of tops on the list. Cool. That is not one that would have occurred to me, but yeah. I respect your choice. Mine are All Along the Watchtower. Oh, 100%. White Rabbit. 100%. <laughs> Good. And the times they are changing. I don't know that I've heard that one a ton. Okay. Maybe it's just the, there's um, that Watchmen movie. Oh, yeah. That They use that song yeah, yeah, over yeah. this montage of like the 60s. Uh-huh. And to me, I was just kind of like, okay, we, we get it. Yeah. It's the 60s. <laughs> we don't need to hear this entire song. I don't know. I just I was watching uh, Kong, the new King Kong Skull Island movie. And it had you like watched all that? of Well, I watched it on a plane. And oh, then sure. I watched it at a house the other day. Just like HBO was just on and it came on. And I kind of sat doing stuff around the house and I heard the, just the soundtrack uh-huh. and it had like all of those songs. <laughs> it yeah. Was like we're, That's pretty funny. Hey guys, it's the 60s. It's like work a little harder. All along the Watchtower for sure. That's been way overused. Yeah. Yep. And all its myriad versions. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock He constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. 
Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of the last podcast on the left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. All right, Noel. Well, speaking of tropes, we are going to do another episode or a segment of Trope Time. Yay. It's my favorite. Uh, where did we leave off last time? We did uh, the, the banker's box and the shopping bag. That's it? I think so. That's the last one. That I think we've only done one of these. Yeah, but we only did, uh, I think we did a, a few more things than that. I'm looking at my list. Yeah, we did. Oh, the, oh, uh, oh sorry. The bulletproof vest reveal. And the, and the cliffhanger The, the cliffhanger. Thing. Yep, yep. The grip. The All grip right, so I'll go through a few more of these. Cool. And we're going to run out soon. Uh, so we're going to start sourcing these from people too. Um, I don't think we have done this one yet. The uh, get a hold of yourself, you know, when somebody slaps somebody yeah. that's behaving hysterically. Or gives them a, a real rough shake by the shoulders. Yeah, exactly. You know? And uh, that was famously uh, aped in Airplane when the lady is losing it on the plane and there's just a line of people that one after the other slap her mm-hmm. in the face. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very good. Yeah. Uh, this one, I'm going to call it um, alcoholic relapse. Certainly do not want to make light of alcoholism, no. but as a movie trope, whenever there's an alcoholic relapse, they um, they take that first sip of uh, of booze, and uh, as I said on the website here, it may as well be dragon's blood, yeah. the way they, they take it to their mouth. Yeah, and the next thing you know, cut to yeah. two days later, and right. they're on the floor, right. you know, covered in <laughs> urine or something, and there's just empty Jack Daniels bottles everywhere, you know. It's funny. I'm gonna. Uh, I had a friend one time who wrote a script that was like 200 and something pages long, and God bless him, he he just wasn't a writer. And I was like, man, you gotta you gotta shorten this by like a hundred pages. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, the, for instance, there's a scene in a bar where you walk through them doing shots, and it's like five pages long. And he was like, yeah, but I had to show, you know, they show them getting drunk. I was like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. It's like, think about movies. You sit down, you show them order a shot, and then you cut to an hour later with 10 empty shot glasses yeah. and they're soused. Yeah. It's like, that's how movies work. Right. You don't show them ordering food, deciding what's on the menu. <laughs> and that's kind of what he did through the whole thing. And it was just a labor. I mean, unless just like the dialogue is just solid gold and you you get to walk through all that. Like, but even then there's going to be cuts. No, you know? I mean, that, yeah. No, no, no. I, I guess I'm thinking of like the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs where it feels like that's a relatively real time kind of moment. But it certainly doesn't show them like going through their whole meal. No. You know? No. No, it's true. Uh, all right. Movie trope. Western movie trope is the gun is empty, and what do they do? They throw it away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see this a whole lot anymore, but that used to be a big thing in Westerns. You're shooting, you're shooting, you're six shooters empty, so you throw it away. I and mean, maybe it's just out of frustration, just sheer it's a rage know. throw. There's also the, the trope of uh, you, 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 you ran out of bullets, and you think you're about to do the big kill. Right, and, and then click. And it click. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and Jim Jarmusch, I think... I don't think it was an interview. It might have been in, oh, what is that movie? Um, The one set in Brooklyn in the cigar shop that Jim Jarmusch acted in. 
Blue in the Face, I think. I'm not sure about that one. I think that's what it's called. But Jim Jarmusch is talking about that movie trope uh, in a scene, and he says, he's like, guns are expensive. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you don't throw a gun away. Seriously. Very funny. Especially on the range. It's like, how, how, what are the chances you're going to, you're just going to find yourself another gunsmith? Right. Just, you know? <laughs> exactly. Hold on to that thing. Uh, haunted House. Boy, we could do just Haunted House movie tropes forever. But here are a couple. Um, horror movie. I call it horror movie rule number 74. When you enter a haunted house or any generic bad place and you loudly announce that you're there. Is anyone there? Hello? Uh, Randy, are you in here? If like Randy is the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. You always got to do that. Uh, and then finally, we'll finish with this one. The uh, probably the most overused horror movie trope of all time, aside from the cat jumping, uh, jumping down from from whatever cabinet and scaring you like oh, the yeah. jump scare is the the mirror gag. Oh, sure. Is is you open the is you're looking in a mirror. Yeah. You open the medicine cabinet. Yeah. You close the mirror and there's someone else there. Right. And the thing about all this stuff, and and we talked about this before, is now they're so overused and cliche that people play with them and kind of like, if you do a good job, you can kind of mess with people's expectations and kind of get, because you you know, you know what they're expecting and you can kind of toy with that and make it effective. But yet I still see people just doing the traditional mirror gag or or the cat jump, you know, you're right. Yeah. It's It's great. It's part homage, partly because it works, but I have seen what you're talking about when they do the mirror gag and set you up mm. and they close it and no one's there. Yeah. And then you go, oh, and then it happens. Yeah. Like around the corner. Exactly. Something. Yeah. It's a very nice yeah. way to toy with it's, the it's, audience. It's very cool. And the mirror gag has been has been uh, mocked on YouTube. I think there's a, a pretty funny super cut if I remember correctly. All right. So that's trope time for this week. Um, I'm going to start sourcing these pretty soon. So just start paying attention, people. I'm back, and you're welcome. The Ron Burgundy Podcast returns with a brand new season, and I'm pulling out all the stops. In the past, you've heard me speak and do a minimal amount of listening with luminaries from all walks of life. I've spoken to everyone from Gloria Steinem to the San Diego Chicken. How's that for a tapestry of audio entertainment? This season is going to be even more exciting. We've got some great guests lined up. So far, we've booked a couple of guys from the band Wang Chung, and that is it. Seriously, I'm not going to lie. We are underbooked, and it's a problem. I had to call the Wang Chung guys myself. They're friends and doing me a big favor. So anyone listening to this, help me out. If you know Timothy Chalamet, tell him to return my damn calls already. Listen to the Ron Burgundy Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are going to move on now to stream this. This is when I recommend a a movie that I believe is available for streaming. Well, kind of everything is almost these days. Uh, I'm going to go with the 2013 psychological thriller uh, Enemy. Have you seen this? Love it. The great, great film from uh, Denis Villeneuve. It's it's, it's Denis Villeneuve. What is it? It's Denis. 
Villeneuve, because he's French, you know? It's like Thomas Mars from Phoenix. It's Thomas. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely Denis. But yes, I, I only learned that recently because I heard Dennis. him speak his name. Come on, Dennis. I, I, I always feel like such a dumb American oh, when I say things it's, like that. It's, 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 it's easy. All right. Denis Villeneuve, um, written by Javier Gullion. I don't know that one, but that sounds good. <laughs> and it is very loosely adapted from a from a novel from 2002 by uh, Jose Saramago. And this is a movie, I don't want to give too much away, but it is a movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal, who I'm a big fan of, in a dual role as, uh, it's a doppelganger film. Uh, it's a man who in, who who basically sees himself one day, or a guy who looks just like him, obviously freaks him out. Uh, they are physically identical and he ends up kind of tracking down this guy and facing him. And uh, it, where it goes from there is is very interesting and strange. And I don't want to give anything away. It stars um, uh, Melanie Laurent, who uh, I am a huge fan of and have a big crush on. From uh, what else was she in? She kind of came on the map with uh, Inglorious Bastards. Ah, oh, that's right. Was she the, the, um, the French girl? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The real badass. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Um, and uh, Sarah Gadon and Isabella Rossellini are also in it. The great Isabella Rossellini. And like I said, I don't want to give too much away with the plot, um, but suffice to say, it goes in all sorts of weird directions. And this is a movie that really hangs with you after you see it. And it's one of those movies that you want to read about. Because there are a lot of uh, metaphors um, and symbolism involved. Once you start, I'll just say that spiders and spider webs play a big part. It's very Lynchy, very Lynchy, mm-hmm. and and maybe one of the weirdest, most disturbing final shots of a movie of all time. Oh, big time! Yeah, it leaves you feeling feels uh, feeling feels, yeah. and also like, what the fuck was yeah. that last shot? All about? I know. No, it's it's awesome. It's uh, it's a really. It's a very special movie. Uh, it's not for everyone, but I still think everyone should watch it. Yeah, agreed. It, it was one of those where right, like literally five seconds after it ended, I opened up my laptop and I was like, enemy Same. ending explained. Same. Like, and it is. It all ties into the symbolism. And it's it's not it's not one of those movies where you can take everything at face value. There's a oh, lot no. of a uh, lot of uh, hidden Easter eggy kind of things. And uh-huh. it. it's just a it's a real cool movie. Yep. Yeah. I'd love to hear from people about that ending. Uh, to see what you thought. Uh, and then we're going to finish up with Comment Card, where I take your your Facebook questions for Nolan and I, and we're going to go with Abraham uh, Schink. He says, have you ever shushed a stranger in a movie theater? Shushed. And have you ever been shushed? Um, I've never been shushed, mm. for sure. Yeah. I'm not that guy. No, I, I haven't been shushed, but... And I want to defend myself here. I went to a screening of um, the very challenging um, Russian film Stalker, which is great if you mm, haven't seen it, with, yes. uh, with Casey, some work pals. Um, That's uh, – what's his face? Tarkovsky. Yeah. Or, yeah, Tarkovsky. Um, and I got in – a little late, right as the movie was starting, and I kind of got separated from my friends. So it was like the very beginning. It was just the like the the name of the f- production company, mm-hmm. and I real quick tried to shoot my friend a text saying, "Hey, I'm sitting here," or like, "Or I'll see you after the movie," or something right. like that. And this guy next to me was like, "Dude, yeah, yeah, you got duded. I got duded <laughs> hard." And so from then on, I was super 
self-conscious. Well, and, and the shame you felt because you're a movie yeah, guy and I like am. you don't want to be that guy. Either. I didn't. I, I really was trying to Just be thoughtful, and like it was literally the opening Janus films. You know, screen, yeah. and I was just like, bloop, 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 bloop. and I was like, "Come on, man, give me a break." I was, yeah. Yeah, I, I felt like he he overreacted. Well, here's what I will say: is certainly do not take out your phone in a movie, people. No, but if you do, shame on you. But if you do, for God's sakes, have that screen down at its lowest setting. Damn it, man, mine was definitely dim. This was a packed screening too. It was like wall to wall, you know. So that yeah. was, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was, it was not one of my proudest moments, Chuck. So here's my deal with shushing people. I've never really shushed anyone either because I uh, am afraid of um, direct confrontation and I am passive aggressive. <laughs> so I've done definitely done the look a bunch of times and the kind of the half turn. Um, but I've never directly shushed somebody. Um, but I've wanted to, although I will usually these days, if the movie is not crowded and it's clear I'm near a, a problem person who's, you know, a, a repeat offender, mm-hmm. I'll just get up and move. Oh, yeah. I'll take the path of least resistance. I thought and, you were going to say you'd report them to the the movie Gestapo. No, I usually won't do that. It would have to be egregious yeah. to do that. I, I, I've turned around and yeah. given a, a sharp look. Uh-huh. The shush is a is a is a bridge too far, man. I, I don't think I would ever shush. Like literally but, go shh. Come on. Yeah. You're also part of the problem at that point, right? Yeah. A, a loud mean, shush, that's, you know... Just as distracting as people talking. Right. I would say the very adult way to handle it would be to lean over and say, hi, you're really kind of disturbing me. Would you mm. – I, I would appreciate it if you'd keep it quiet. That's fair. Yeah. But then they're like, dude, why are you, why are you giving me a lecture? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> I guess the thing too is like movies are expensive. Yeah. And, and it's like if I ever go to a movie and there's someone that clearly is not respecting the fact that we've all paid money to be here and you know, why are you here? Go yeah. somewhere else. Do something else. You know, it bothers me. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'll, I'll say the other thing that's bugged me lately. And for some reason, this has happened in New York. It may be a New York thing. The past like three movies I've seen in New York, there has been a dude snoring Full-on sleeping and snoring really, really loudly in the theater. Okay. I've been guilty of that as well. Really? Not to that <laughs> extreme. Let me let me, let me, me again defend myself. I, I have a problem going to late movies, so I don't do it. But if I go to like a, eight, a, like a nine o'clock movie, yeah. I'm going to like nod from time to time. But I end up like waking myself up with a single snore because I'm really <laughs> self-conscious yeah. about it. So I, I will never like yeah. full on. But when I go with my girlfriend and this happens, she always elbows me in the ribs, you know? Right. So I don't go to, I don't go to late movies. So. Yeah, I, I hesitate to bag too much on the New York thing because it occurs to me now that is it possible that this is a homeless person who has scrapped up eight bucks to just go sleep in the warmth for a couple of hours? I don't know. Is I, that I mean, true? I don't, it, it seems like there are, there are alternatives to that. You know, maybe I don't know. It's a good point. Maybe yeah. so. Yeah, especially if it's like winter, you probably could be pretty, pretty desperate to find somewhere like that. Mm. All right. So our our compassionate side is now coming out. But what do you do there? You go shake some, tap them on the shoulder, mm. say, "Sir, you're really snoring loud." That's complicated. It is. We really opened a Pandora's box here, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We spent a lot of time on that one. Megan Broyles says, "What is your favorite John Candy movie?" Oh, I miss John Candy. Uh, I'm going to go with um, probably two movies he's most known for, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Uncle Buck. Great, great John Candy performances. I like Uncle Buck a lot. Wasn't he in, was he in Strange Brew? No. No, he, he's not. Who's in Strange Brew? Well, the two guys are Dave Thomas and Rick Moranis. 
But it wasn't that kind of his scene, though. weren't weren't that like? Yeah. Well, you know, he I haven't seen that in a long time. He may have had a small part because yeah. they were all part of the Second City. That's right. Uh, team. Mm-hmm. So he may have had a small part in that. He was also fun in uh, in Home Alone. He's in the polka band that that gives right. them a ride. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, Nick Erickson says, "Chuckers, this is two questions. One for you, one for me. Chuckers, what got you interested in film in the first place?" And Noel, and I'll let you think on this one. Where'd you learn to write and mix such awesome songs, theme songs? Uh, so I'm going to answer first. What got me interested in film in the first place? I'm going to say my brother Scott had to be him. Um, my parents were not super into movies. They never, certainly my father. I've joked before that the the last movie, truthfully joked that the last film my father has seen in the theater, I believe, still to this day is Bo Derek's Tarzan movie from the 80s. Hubba hubba. Yeah, sure. My dad, yeah, he he just, I mean, a little bit maybe. Like, I think he, I remember him seeing war movies occasionally. Uh, and, and I've said on the show before, he took me to see the Big Red One, the World War II movie. But they just, I don't know, they weren't into it. They, they into it in such, it's not like they hate movies, but my mom likes movies now, but they never, it was never important for them to sit me down and be like, hey, you know, these are movies. This is film. This is this is great. This is important. You should see this. Uh, so my brother, for sure, got me into movies at a young age. Uh, Noel, talk about your music background. Uh, I just I grew up playing violin. My parents were both opera singers, so it was really, really? important to them. Yeah, that's so music no has always shit. been part of my life. And uh, my mom, you know, toured. She was actually um, had a contract with the Metropolitan Opera in New York City um, for. 20 years and so I grew up kind of going to her performances and she would go over Europe and um, I would go see her in New York when she was at the Met and I think I might have known that in the back of my brain I didn't know about your dad my dad too they met in the opera Um, he was less his career was not quite as big as hers but Uh um, they both definitely were professional singers for many years and so I got playing violin when I was six and kind of you know my dad was trying to groom me to be some sort of classical musician and it just wasn't for me I got more into you know started discovering indie rock and different yeah. different bands and kind of wanted to play guitar and write songs and played in many bands when I was younger. And Do you still play violin at all? I have a violin. I could play it if I chose to. I, yeah. I Actually, my experience with violin was pretty ultimately negative. It was something I was but sort you, of forced to do. you can make the do. sounds. Oh, though, yeah, I can which play is, it. Yeah. I have a violin. I took a couple of lessons. It is hard just to make that sound. It's sort of like riding a bike, though. You don't really—I I can definitely still do it. Right. And I, I, I actually—my bow is messed up. I, I want to get a new bow so I can use it for recording. But now I mainly just have a little home studio and have have the you know great opportunity to be able to make music for work occasionally, and also you know do stuff like what we're doing right now. So it's neat that I've been able to still keep fresh with those skills, even though I don't really play in bands anymore. I did up until a recently, years right? ago. Yeah, yeah, but I've kind of just don't anymore. I just don't have time. I hear you. So how, what all can you play? I play guitar, drums, keys, bass. violin, bass. It, most stringed instruments I can make a sound with. I could play a cello if I needed to. I, I played upright stand-up bass in the or, or school orchestra for a while as well when nice. I was younger. Um, but I can't play like a wind instrument or a flute or anything like that. Uh-huh. But, um, and I'm sort of like okay at a lot of things. I'm not incredibly proficient in any one thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of cool with that because I can sort of, you know, make it go and use it to make records and just yeah. record myself so that's that's what i do Noel's a very talented guy everybody oh chuck we're very lucky to have him uh i actually can play a little bit of drums now and here's my theory is that if you grew up playing air drums then 
when you sit down at a drum kit, then you can, if you have a decent sense of rhythm and you feel like in your head you can divide things up between hands and feet, mm-hmm. then you can maybe play drums a little bit. Absolutely. And that's what happened to me. The first time I like sat down at a drum kit because I was used to playing air drums and not just aping air drums, but really kind of playing with my feet and my yeah. hands. I got sticks in my hand and I was like, wait a minute, I can play a little backbeat. Nothing flashy. Super producer Casey Pegram, who used to do the Stuff You Should Know videos and is, uh, you know, an amazing, talented person in many ways, filmmaker, he is an incredible drummer. Really? And, and most of, he was in, like, the marching band and all that stuff, and most of what he does that continues him to kind of still keep those skills fresh is play rock band. And, and you know, Oh, yeah. With the drum, and he has, like, the whole kit uh-huh. with, like, the pads and all that, like, the so kind Casey's of... So Casey's a good drummer. Casey's a really good drummer. Wow. Mm-hmm. We need a, a Stuff Media Band. That would be awesome. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, great question, Nick. Uh, two more here. Anthony Knorr says, movies with the best plot twist. Uh, well, we've talked about Fight Club, of course. One of the great plot twists of all time, for sure, in Fight Club. Uh, and then I'm going to go with a movie called Primal Fear. Uh, what year was that? 96, actually, mid-90s. Uh, it was based on a novel directed by Gregory uh, Hoblet, and it starred Richard Gere and... The first thing that I ever saw Edward Norton in. I think it was the definitely the first high-profile movie that he was in, for Did sure. Did you see it? Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I'm not going to give anything away, but um, what what a great, great plot twist in that movie. Yeah. I did not see it coming yeah. at all. I did not know that there was... It didn't feel like a plot-twisty movie. Mm-hmm. Those are the best ones. Those are the best ones. Where exactly. you're like, like, a lot of movies, you're like, all right, I know there's going to be some twist here, probably. Yeah. But that one just sort of smacked me in the face out of the blue. So I'll go with Primal Fear. And then finally... Uh, Elena Barton says, do you have a favorite musical or do you even like them? Uh, Well, Elena, yes, I do like musicals. Um, Not all musicals, but I love The Sound of Music. I love Chicago. I love Annie. Annie's great. The film versions uh, as well? You enjoy all those film versions? Yeah, I mean, I'm mainly talking about the oh, films. I'm sorry. Sound of Music, I think, is exclusively a film. But Chicago, there was just the more recent one with Catherine Zeta-Jones. By recent, I guess I mean 10 years ago. But Yeah, yeah. It yeah. feels recent. Yeah. Um, great movie version. But I, I did see Chicago on Broadway in New York, and I did see Annie um, at the Fox Theater here in Atlanta, the, the touring Broadway show. Um, so, yeah, I've seen those. Some stuff... Uh, well, Les Mis, jeez, it's fucking amazing. That movie was so cool because they did they did all their own singing like in the oh, scene. Yeah, the recent movie with, version of with that, like an earpiece in where they could hear the or- yeah. hear the track or whatever. That made all the difference. And man, that uh, Anne Hathaway's, Whew, uh, I dreamed perf- a dream. Yes, my lord, very powerful. Yeah. Uh, but I did uh, I did not see Les Mis on Broadway yet, but that's on the list. Um, Phantom, I did not enjoy so much mm. uh, the Broadway show yeah it's just a it's schmaltz it's pure yeah you know it's it's a little on the nose but i, I saw it when i was a kid so i, I really liked it a lot uh, i saw rent recently yeah uh, at the fox which uh i think we may have even left to go get dinner <laughs> yeah we did yeah we left during intermission uh me and uh, my friends eddie and allison who listened to the show by the way um I think we were just hungry, and sure. we weren't so into it. Got it. Yeah, one that I've never understood is Cats. 
I uh, I saw it. Yeah. Even you know, in my my youngest days of going to musicals with my mom in New York, when you should have liked Cats, I should have liked it. I just yeah. didn't get it. I just did not like it at all. Yeah. And, um, maybe maybe I like it more now. I just know didn't feel like it had much of a plot. I it felt like it was all in service of like this kind of spectacle of just these you know people acting like cats and right. I just it's not not for me. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I like musicals generally. So those are my faves. Uh, good question, Elena. So that's it. This week, your homework, everybody, is the movie Arrival. I had Albert Hammond Jr. I was about to say in the studio, but this is on location. So the sound is going to be a little different than what you're used to. We recorded uh, Albert Hammond Jr., by the way, as a musician. He is best known as a guitar player, one of the guitar players for The Strokes. Uh, but I am a huge fan of his solo work, uh, more so than The Strokes even. And uh, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I wonder, I want to meet Albert Hammond Jr. Sure. wonder if he'd do it. Yeah. And he did. It was very nice. So I went to uh, Terminal West, the venue where he was playing. Uh, got to see the second half of his sound check, which was kind of fun. And um, talked to him about The Arrival, which, uh, to be fair, is not his all-time favorite movie. Um, he didn't quite get the message through his PR people, but he, he picked a movie that he really loved, a recent movie that he really loved and wanted to talk about, which was kind of cool. I'm a huge fan of that film. Yeah, and it was it was fun to talk to him. We talked about music and life, and he's a very uh, contemplative, um, interesting, kind of deep, sensitive guy. I enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to that one. And by the way, Chuck, I want to compliment you on the Paul Schneider episode. Oh, thanks, I thought man. that was such a fantastic conversation. It has gotten... Uh, Almost unanimous, like, yeah. best episode yet review. It was just, I don't know, I, I was not around for that one, so I got to listen to it, like, as a fan, and yeah. it just made made my day. He, Thanks, he just man. seems like the sweetest guy, and you guys just really had a great uh, great rapport. Yeah, very, it's very funny, good. he texted me yesterday, because uh, at the end of the thing, I was like, oh, I wish we lived in the same town, and he texted me yesterday and said, I wish we lived in the same town, too. So oh, that made man, me feel good. bromance. Yeah, bromance, big time. Uh, All right, so that's it. Watch The Arrival and look for Albert Hammond Jr. this Friday. And thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We'll see you next Monday. I'm Richard Blaze, and I'm a chef and restaurateur who has judged or competed on nearly every cooking show. And now I've found a way to judge on a podcast. On my new podcast, Food Court with Richard Blaze, amazing guests bring their food arguments to my court, and I settle them once and for all. You think ranch is better than blue cheese? Prove it. You hate pineapple on pizza? Convince me. The first season of Food Court with Richard Blaze is up, and you can subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's nothing you wouldn't do for your child. From watching their soccer game in the pouring rain to soothing a crying baby at 4 a.m., you love your kids. So love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Car seats reduce fatal injury by 54 to 71% for toddlers and infants. Car crashes are a leading cause of death for children under 13, but when used correctly, safety restraints can dramatically reduce the risk of fatality or injury. It's critical that every trip, every time children are in the right seat for their age and size, and that children under 13 years of age are always buckled up in the back seat. 
Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to learn more. This message is brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.